Well, the NBA season is still over a month away, but with so many Zags playing in the NBA this, this year, it's time we start our season preview series, beginning with the highest paid second round pick of all time in Andrew Nembhard, right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked on Zags your first listen or first watch of the day. I appreciate every single one of you who is continuing to check out the show deep into the college basketball offseason. Also appreciate those of you who've checked the show out on YouTube. We are very close to our goal, a thousand subscribers before the start of the college basketball season. We still got time, but if you are a listener and you have not done so yet, just go to youtube.com, search Locked On Zags, find the Locked On, Chan- Locked On Zags channel, excuse me, and hit that big subscribe button. It is very, very much appreciated. All right, today is the start of what will be a multi-part series detailing all of these Zags in the NBA, what their upcoming season might look like. Those of you who have listened to my podcast for a long time, either Locked On Zags or back when it was called Score Zags Score, will remember that I do season preview episodes for every player on Gonzaga's roster. Those will be coming up next month. We talk about the player's history, how they got where they are. Second segment is a best and worst case scenario for the player for the upcoming season. And then the third and final segment is an expected role, expected production for the player. So we are going to do that not only for Gonzaga's players next season, we're also going to do it for the Zags in the NBA. That is what we're doing today. We're kicking things off. Unfortunately, we couldn't start with the man, Chet Holmgren. I guess we could have. It would have been a pretty short podcast since, unfortunately, he is not going to play in his rookie season because of an injury suffered at the Jamal Crawford crossover pro-am a few weeks ago. But we are going to start with the other Zag who is starting his NBA career this year. That is, of course, Andrew Nembhard. Uh, we'll go through a little bit of a history about Nembhard. He obviously he began his collegiate career at Florida. He did not start his career at Gonzaga. He was recruited by the Zags out of high school. Another high-level Canadian prospect. We're going to talk a lot about the Canadians in future episodes. It's kind of an idea that was brought to me by somebody who follows Canadian basketball very closely, and the Zags have a ton of connections with Canada, but Nemhard was not one of the guys that they managed to secure right out of high school, at least. He went to the SEC. He went to Florida. His goals, his aspirations were to be a one-and-done point guard. Didn't quite happen for him. That Florida team that he was on initially just wasn't all that good. He struggled a little bit with his outside shot. He ended up staying a second year, explored the NBA draft after that, also entered the transfer portal, was kind of weighing his options on what he wanted to do, ultimately ended up committing to join the Zags. And right before the season started, he found out he was going to be granted immediate eligibility. So the Zags not got a gift right before the year began with Andrew Nempard being eligible. He began that year off coming off the bench as a backup to Jalen Suggs, eventually moved into a starting role, replaced Anton Watson, who became a more traditional sixth man, a role we've seen him have for many, many years at this this point 
Nemhard really started to thrive at that point. We know Mark Few and the Zags love those two-point guard lineups, and Suggs and Nemhard together on the court was just wreaking havoc on opposing teams. I mean, this is a team that didn't lose a game until the national championship, so clearly things were going pretty darn well with a group of guys that they had out there. Uh, Nemhard explored the NBA again after that season, but everybody kind of expected he would come back because he had the opportunity to to be the primary guy, the man in Gonzaga's offense. He did. He, he took that role on extraordinarily well. He was I was going to say one of, he was the best. He was the best point guard in college basketball last season. His efficiency in the pick and roll was obscenely good. He improved his outside shooting tremendously. He was a no doubt knockdown, have to defend him shooter, which is just not something he had been in his first couple seasons at Gonzaga, or excuse me, in college in general. We, we've seen players improve their three-point shooting when they have better players around them in Gonzaga. We've seen you know, Rasir Bolton, Ryan Woolridge. We've seen a handful of transfers come in and kind of do that. And Nemar, it took him a year to kind of get to that point. But last year, he was a, a knockdown outside shooter. Again, one of the best, the best point guard in the league. He was great at getting out in transition. Pick and roll efficiency was elite. Defense was very, very good. It, it was an excellent season. But even throughout the fantastic season, he never really got a lot of NBA draft attention. You'd occasionally see mock drafts that had him in the late 50s. You'd see big boards that had him ranked in the top 100, but not really in a draftable spot. He just wasn't getting a ton of attention. Part of that was because the outside shooting throughout his career had been inconsistent. Part of that was just his size, his athleticism was perceived as as not being good enough to be a, a draftable talent. And then what happened after that is he... He went to the NBA Draft Combine, and he proved a lot of that stuff wrong. His measurements were good. His athleticism tests were very, very good. His quick his quick skills were, were very evident. Uh, and then he did really, really well in the scrimmage games at the NBA Draft Combine to the point where he all of a sudden got a lot of momentum very quickly. Teams started talking, or scouts, analysts, people on Twitter started talking about him not only as, hey, this is a draftable guy, but he could be a first-round pick. There was a lot of momentum that he could end up going 29th to the Memphis Grizzlies, a team that has had a lot of zags in the past, currently employs two of them in Brandon Clark and Killian Tilly, a team that was potentially going to lose Tyus Jones to free agency. Nemhart had been compared to Tyus Jones. Tyus Jones was the third string point guard for the Grizzlies. It made sense that that might be where Nemhart went. And this was a, a surreal moment. We're talking about a guy who had twice declared for the NBA draft and decided he it wasn't for him that he wasn't going to get drafted declared a third and final time had no other choice was going to go pro was still not getting a lot of attention. And then all of a sudden we're talking about him as a first round pick. That's a really tremendous accomplishment and, and proof of a guy who was willing to really bet on himself, waited out and knew he was good enough, knew that he was good enough, knew that people would see it eventually. And sure enough, they did. While Memphis ultimately didn't take him, he went 31st overall to the Indiana Pacers, the first pick in the second round of the NBA draft, a borderline first round pick. Kind of an odd fit on paper when you looked at the roster at the time. They had Malcolm Brogdon, they had Tyrese Halliburton, they had TJ McConnell, they have Chris Duarte, they had Ben Matherin, who they took number sixth overall in that draft. And they're not a team that's expecting to be particularly competitive. Nemhard kind of seemed like a guy who would go in the late first round primarily because he had the 
veteran experience to be a guy who could contribute right away. Maybe not a bunch of upside. You know, he's not a 19-year-old kid that you're banking on is going to get way better and fill out and get more mature. Nemar was kind of already a more or less finished project. That's not to say he can't get better, but that you're getting a guy who's who's playing some of his best basketball right now. And that doesn't necessarily fit the Pacers now. The Pacers did end up trading Malcolm Brogdon to the Boston Celtics, which cleared up a little bit more room uh, in their guard rotation. And then they signed Nemhard to the highest guaranteed contract in NBA history for a second round pick. Andrew Nembard is getting more guaranteed money than the picks 18 through 30 in the NBA draft. Every single guy picked in that range is not getting as much guaranteed money as Andrew Nembard is. That is an incredible accomplishment once again for Nembard. You bet on yourself. You bet that you're going to be good enough to be drafted when a lot of places were saying that you were not. You not only get selected 31st, which is really dang good, you then get yourself a you get yourself a bag, a legitimate bag, more money, over $6 million guaranteed across three years of guaranteed money. There's a fourth year on that contract as well. What? It's an incredible story. I've said this multiple times on this podcast. I've said it on the website at scorezagscore.com. This is a truly excellent story, not just a great Gonzaga story, just a good story in general. This should be celebrated, what Andrew Nempar did, how passionate, how dedicated, how motivated he was to get where he needed to be, how steadfast he was in knowing that he had the ability to be an NBA player, to secure a bag, to do all of that, and then he did. Now, what I want to talk about in the second segment is what's he going to look like? How is he going to fit into what Indiana is trying to do? Uh, we're going to look at that primarily through the lens of a best-case scenario for Andrew Nembhard and a worst-case scenario. And then we'll come back in the third and final segment and we'll take a look at what, what the actual role might look like. Before we do all of that, though, a message from the NHTCA. Are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stoned? What's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is, your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high and get a DUI. All right, second segment, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still talking Indiana Pacers rookie point guard Andrew Nembhard here in segment number two. We're going to break down his best case and worst case scenarios for what his rookie season might look like with the Pacers, starting with the best case scenario. The best case scenario for Andrew Nembhard is that he sneaks into the point guard rotation alongside Tyrese Halliburton and TJ McConnell. Again, Malcolm Brogdon is gone, so there is a little bit less competition at that point guard spot. Now, the Pacers have a lot of guard depth. They have a lot of combo guard depth. Not a lot of point guard depth, which is good for Nembhard, but there's a lot of guys who could kind of fill that two spot, even that three spot. The, one of the best things that could happen for Nembhard is if the, the Pacers decided to try to play Tyrese Halliburton in a little bit more of an off-ball role, but it's hard to imagine how they would make that work because they have Ben Matherin, because they have Chris Duarte, because they have Buddy Heald. All of those guys are need to play a lot of minutes, and they're going to play most of those minutes at the two, maybe a little bit at the three for Heald at least. Aaron Nesmith is in the conversation as well. There's just a lot of people who are kind of right in that mix. But the best case scenario for Nembhard is that he 
overtakes Gabe York for the third string point guard and that he challenges TJ McConnell for minutes as the true backup point guard. Again, this could facilitate itself in Halliburton playing more minutes off the ball, McConnell playing more minutes at the true point guard. That allows Nemhard to play more minutes as a traditional backup. There's a lot of things that the Pacers could do. I think there's some potential for the Pacers to even consider trading TJ McConnell. He's got a fairly hefty contract. He's not super young. He doesn't necessarily fit the age group of the players on this team that are kind of trying to compete. You know, Duarte's a second-year player. Uh, Matherin is obviously a rookie as well. Halliburton is quite young. So it's possible if Nemhard plays well enough that the team looks to trade TJ McConnell at the trade deadline or possibly even before that because they feel like, you know what? We don't need him. We have Andrew Nemhard. He's younger. He's he's more cost efficient for our program uh, and he can he can do the same things. I think that's that's ultimately the best case scenario. We'll talk about how he gets there, but the best case scenario for Andrew Nemhard simply put is that the Pacers are willing to trade TJ McConnell because they know that Nemhard can fill that role capably this season and beyond. How he does that? Well, the skills that he showed in transition at Gonzaga and the skills that he showed in the pick and roll, he's a 99th percentile on handoffs in college. 99th percentile. This is a tremendous skill of his, is being able to come off the pick and roll, make the right pass, hit that mid-range shot. High pick and rolls are a huge part of what happens in the NBA. They have never not been. From John Stockton and Carl Malone in the 90s for the Utah Jazz to now, it's still a huge part of the game. It looks a little different now, and certainly there's more pick and pop now. It used to be every screener would roll to the basket. You'd try to get the lay in that way. Now there's a lot more screens, rollouts, try to hit the three because the big men can all shoot in the modern NBA. But ultimately, that high pick and roll coming off the screen, making a read, that roll still exists, and it's still extremely valuable, quite arguably the most important skill as a true point guard that you can have in the modern NBA. Nembhardt has it. He's proved it demonstrably that he can do that. He makes the correct reads, even in games that he struggled last year. People will look at the Arkansas game and be like, well, Nembhardt had a terrible game. Yeah, he did not shoot well. He shot very bad. I'm saying this off the top of my head. I think he was like one for 14 in that game, something along those lines. But I remember watching that game and rewatching that game, which was very not pleasant to do. He didn't take a lot of bad shots. He was not forcing up shots. In fact, a lot of his looks were wide open. He, he read the defense correctly. He got to the spot he wanted to get to. He got himself a 15, 13, 12-footer. He just didn't make them. And that's frustrating. And that's that was a really inopportune time for that to happen for the Zags. But his ability to make the correct reads and still do the right thing with the basketball is, is paramount to his success in the NBA. And in the best case scenario, he shows that immediately. Other best case scenarios, the outside shot is consistent. This is a big question mark with Andrew Nembhard. He was not a good three-point shooter for three years in college. And then he was a very good three-point shooter for one year in college. It's understandable that NBA scouts, that fans, that coaches, whomever, might be a little weary of what that's going to look like. The NBA three-point line is farther away. He is going to have more defense on him. The NBA defensive players are much better. Open threes are not as easy to come across. Gonzaga's offense is very, very good at creating open outside looks for players. It's going to be tougher for him. And if he comes out and is a sub-30 or sub-33% three-point shooter, that's going to be a challenge. But in a best-case scenario, that 37 38 39% from three that we saw at Gonzaga, that translates. And he's a knockdown, have-to-defend-him, 
outside shooter for the Indiana Pacers. Best case scenario, that is a tremendous part of his game and something that really, really allows him to be more playable on the basketball court. If he's knocking down threes at over 37%, he's going to get minutes, guaranteed. Because of his skills as a pick-and-roll player, because of his skills out in transition, plus that skill, he's going to play. There's just no other doubt about it. Other best-case scenarios for Andrew Nembhard, physical limitations are not an issue. There was some concern. His size, his frame, his athleticism, is that going to translate in the NBA? Best-case scenario, it's a non-factor. He does not look overmatched while defending big NBA guards. He doesn't struggle on the defensive end. He doesn't get pushed around too much offensively. Things that we saw from him occasionally at Gonzaga, certainly the Baylor game, will stand out in that regard. But again, best-case scenario, those are not things that we see. All of that combines in a situation where the Pacers say, we can move on from TJ McConnell. We don't need this guy anymore. We can save ourselves some money. We can trade him for some future assets, maybe a young player, a draft pick, maybe both, who knows. And we can rely on Andrew Nembhard to fill that role going forward. What's the worst case scenario for Andrew Nembhard? Well, it's that he gets lost. He gets lost among a very big sea of young guards. We've talked about them all already. Tyrese Halliburton, Chris Duarte, Ben Matherin, Buddy Heald, Aaron Nismith, Gabe York, there's a lot of young guards on this roster. That's not even counting TJ McConnell, who is the old guard among this group. It would be easy for Nemhard to just not quite earn playing time over most or any of those guys, quite frankly. Ways that that would happen, outside shooting is inconsistent. We've seen a lot of Gonzaga players come into the NBA and struggle with their outside shot initially. Corey Kispert struggled at first. I mean, really struggled. The second half of last season, he found his groove. He became a knockdown outside shooter. Jalen Suggs, who was not a good three-point shooter at Gonzaga, but he really struggled in his first season. He shot like 22%, I think, from deep. It's We've seen it before where Gonzaga guards who are used to an offense that is more facilitating towards their ability to get open looks, we've seen them struggle when they get into the NBA. In a worst-case scenario for Andrew Nempard, that's an issue. He doesn't knock down outside shots. He gets his opportunities. They don't fall. He starts not getting respected from there. Defenses sag off of him. It makes it harder for him to run his pick and roll actions. That's the worst case scenario for Andrew Nempard. Other worst case scenario is the fairly obvious one. He struggles against bigger, more physical guards. We saw that against Baylor. We saw that a few times last year. Alabama game, the Duke game, even the Tarleton State game. Immediate pressure when he crossed half court was something that he struggled with. NBA defenders are very long, they're very good, they're very athletic. They're better than almost every single player Andrew Nembhard played in college, with the exception of the guards he played in that Duke game and in that Baylor game, who are pretty much all in the NBA or will all be in the NBA. But for the most part, he's going to play against guys who are that good or better than that. And in a worst-case scenario, that level of pressure gets to him to the point where he cannot get to his actions, he cannot get to his pick-and-rolls, he turns the ball over a lot, he becomes difficult to play. Without an outside shot, without the physicality to be able to move people around, he might struggle on defense as well, he's unable to push pace, this makes him a lot tougher to play. And on a team with a lot of young guards, and they're kind of experimenting, they're trying to figure out who's going to work, who do we want to be a part of this core going forward, if he struggles with one or two or, or more of those things, he could get pushed to the side. Now, the Pacers did not give him three years of guaranteed money to just give up on him halfway through his rookie season. So even if his playing time dips early in the year, or even if it doesn't materialize all that much this year, that does not mean that his future is super bleak, that he's going to get cut, that the Pacers have given up on him. It just means that he's maybe not there right now. And that's okay. 
a worst case scenario for a second round pick who got three years of guaranteed money is not that bad of a situation. The worst thing, I mean, even if he gets sent to the G League, even if the Pacers move him down to the G League and let him play there, that's not necessarily that bad of a situation. If the Pacers went out and acquired a bunch of young point guards, that might not look very good. But I don't think that that's going to happen. And ultimately, Nemhard getting opportunities to play in Fort Wayne with the, the G League affiliate for the Pacers might not be such a bad thing. So I don't see a lot of worst case scenarios that are really awful here. One, one thing I, I didn't say this caveat at the beginning, I don't talk about injuries as a worst case scenario because that's very obvious that that is the worst case scenario. So barring that, it's hard for there to be any like really horrible situations here. Maybe he doesn't play as well as he is capable of playing. Maybe he doesn't take advantage of the opportunities that he's given as much as we would like him to, certainly as much as he would like to, certainly as much as the Pacers would like to. But all of that is okay because he can get another shot next year. He can figure out the things he needs to work on. Nemhard is a very cerebral basketball player. He's a very, very hardworking basketball player. We saw him pick apart the things that he struggled with in college and improve upon them. There's no reason to believe that he can't do that in the NBA. So worst case scenarios for Nemhard are not necessarily that bad. They're more like growing pains that are probably going to happen at least in some capacity for him during his rookie season. But really, unless all of them happen at once to the point where he really looks unplayable, it's hard to imagine this year like going really poorly for him. It just is going to have some ups and downs like any rookie season would do. But the fact that the Pacers are pretty committed to him for at least the foreseeable future makes it hard to imagine a scenario where his rookie year goes like, very, very poorly. All right, folks, we're going to come back in the third and final segment of this show. We're going to talk about Nemhard's expected contributions to this team, and we're also going to share a fan story Friday. It's a segment I haven't done a ton this offseason, but I thought we got a really good su submission and I wanted to share it. Coming up right after this. All right, segment three. Pat is still locked on Zach. Still talking Andrew Nemhart, Indiana Pacers rookie point guard and former Gonzaga guard Andrew Nemhart. We're going to talk about what his likely role is going to look like as a rookie. We talked about his player history in segment one. We talked about the best and worst case scenarios for Nemhart in, in segment two. Now we're going to look more at his likely role. I think to begin the year, Nemhart is kind of right on the edge of being in Indiana's rotation. You look at the guys that are in front of him, you know, Tyrese Halliburton is going to start. TJ McConnell is going to play a lot of minutes. Gabe York is right in that conversation. I don't think Matherin or Duarte are going to play a lot of minutes at the one, but they're going to soak up basically all of the minutes at the two. And I think that that kind of creates a situation where there's not a lot of minutes to go around. But again, the Pacers didn't pay Andrew Nembhard. They didn't draft Andrew Nembhard to not play him. So I think he's going to play pretty consistently. I think most nights he's going to play, but I think a lot of those nights it's going to be between 5 to 10 minutes per night. I think we'll see him get much more playing time during blowouts, and the Pacers are not going to be very good this year, so there might be some blowouts. There's a good chance that that's going to happen. Even good teams get blown out, and certainly the Pacers are capable of blowing some teams out too if Matherin or Duarte go absolutely off. So we'll see him play some, some 10, 12, 15-minute-per-night games. I think some nights it'll be closer to 3 to 5 minutes per game. Uh, and I think... Ultimately, though, I do think he will play well enough in those spurts of time to earn more minutes as the year goes on. 
I think the Pacers want to see enough out of him to to get rid of McConnell, enough out of him to be like, this is a guy we can commit to. We've seen enough to know that he's going to be a capable NBA player so we can move on some, from some of our veteran guys. We can cement his spot on this roster for the next couple of years without having to worry about, is he going to be good enough? And once they feel that he's in that spot... I think that's when they're willing to move on from McConnell, when they're willing to kind of make some other moves towards their future, knowing, hey, this is a spot that's solidified. Maybe they don't look at Nemhart as the future starting point guard. Maybe they look at him as like, hey, this is our future backup. This is our backup point guard for the next five, six, seven, eight years. And while that may not be the most appealing way to be viewed by the NBA franchise, when you got picked in the second round, when you were primarily not considered a draftable player at all, and they gave you over eight million dollars, excuse me, over six million dollars in guaranteed money, and said you're our backup point guard, that's pretty darn good. That is pretty darn good outcome for Andrew Nempard. We won't know all of that in year one. Obviously, things can change and will change as the season continues to go on. But I think ultimately, Nemhard will start the year in a relatively small borderline rotation role, but we'll continue to see his playing time tick up as the year goes on because he will earn it with his performance. Right, we're going to close out the show and the week with a listener-submitted Fan Story Friday is a great story from a listener, James Brown, who has shared a handful of times with me. He also shared that he has a son. He's Colby and Brooks, named after, not named after the uh, walk-on for the team, Colby Brooks. But they do have, they do share names. He's always been hoping that Colby Brooks will get into a game. So this is kind of how we first started chatting. He shared his Fan Story Friday with me. I'm going to read it here for you all. So, I'm born and raised from Charlotte and just old enough to remember the Tar Heels 1993 title. However, in the summer of 2009, I was lucky enough to meet a Zag at a Wrightsville Beach dive bar. Finding out where I was from, she expected me to hate on Bobcats rookie Adam Morrison, but I got my first beautiful smile out of her when I said it was a shame how the knee injury and coach Larry Brown derailed his NBA career. Over the next few years, I'm falling for her and the Zag teams of Sacre, Pango, Sabonis. Then... In November of 2016, I placed a bet before the season on the Zags to win it all. Back then, you could still get 50 to 1 odds on that little cute Spokane underdog that always fell short in March, which of course turns into the biggest conundrum of my life when Gonzaga meets North Carolina for the trophy. I decide to ride with the bet and the now pregnant wife and turn in my Tar Heel card. I still believe that I made the right call that night, unlike the refs, and here he puts in all caps, Kennedy Meeks was out of bounds. Two years later for the rematch, I entered the Dean Dome in the non-Carolina shade of blue for the first time to cheer on Perk and the boys. While we lost that one too, my conversion was complete. We are now 100% a Zag house. So much so that I couldn't tell you two players on Carolina's current roster and I'm writing a long-ass email to the host of Locked on Zags. James, thank you so much for sharing. You shared a wonderful photo of your family as well, decked out in Gonzaga gear. I love this story. I think so many of the stories we get are... People who went to Gonzaga, people who are from Spokane, uh, people who you know, you, uh, oftentimes the story is not a conversion from another school. And I think that that's fun. I, th I think it's cool to to share something like this with your family, with, certainly with your wife. Um, 
My wife went to Linfield, so certainly there wasn't as much of a connection to an athletic program there, but she has shared in that conversion as well. She has a lot of Gonzaga gear. She wears it all. We named our dog Tilly after Killian Tilly. That was a mutual decision because she watched him not miss a three-point shot in Las Vegas for three games, and it was like the best sporting event memory that she's ever had. So it was part of the reason we could name our dog after him. I love stories like this. I think when families can come together and share something like this, it's really impactful. Uh, Certainly giving up a Tar Heel fandom is always tough. Uh, The fact that they went to the national championship game again last year, especially as an eight seed, would have been a pretty darn fun year to root for the Tar Heels. Uh, But obviously we are more than thrilled to have you rooting for the Zags. Hopefully they will be back in that national championship game very, very soon. All right, that is going to do it for me today and, of course, for this week. Podcast is down to three times a week for the rest of this month. Still plenty of great content coming out very, very soon. we got some fun guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. we of course, got more of these NBA player previews coming as well right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Now for your second listen, go check out the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. The local team experts of the Locked On Podcast Network, plus a betting angle from Lee Sterling of Locked On Bets, all combining into one ultimate NFL preview. Search for Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.